Hello, I'm Shelly Till. Welcome to the Too Much Grit to Quit podcast, where I speak to some of the greatest athletic minds about overcoming adversity and building your grit muscle. My guest today is a former University of Iowa Hawkeye women's basketball player, arguably a fan favorite. She would make the all-decade team for sure in that category. And she also happens to be a 2008 Big Ten tournament champion. She's a high school basketball coach now in the state of Michigan. And my friend, we came into the University of Iowa together. We have seen March Madness and the madness of college sports together. Please welcome Lindsay Niner Ninehuis. Oh my gosh, Shelly Till, you kind of, that, that was a good intro. I appreciate that. You got me excited there. It's like I, it was it was like I shot a three and it, and it, and it went in <laughs> and the whole crowd goes wild just like yes. they did sometimes sometimes that how are happen. you my friend hey hanging in there it's March Madness it's a, it's a great time uh to be watching some basketball and, and life is good finally here in Michigan we got some nice weather so this whole being stuck inside your house it's it's nice to be able to get outside finally no doubt. I think we're going to talk a lot about how this pandemic, how this last year has affected people, you, me, and a lot about how, the lessons that we've learned through sports and also the, the trials and tribulations. So before we get into that, we have to talk about, speaking of the Iowa Hawkeyes, yesterday, the men, the number two seed in the men's tournament, we thought I had them picked to the final four. They get upset by Oregon. Well, I don't know if you can call that an upset, but Oregon was a seven seed. Iowa actually got annihilated by them yesterday. Did you watch? What's your reaction to that as a former Hawkeye? You know, it, it, these time, this, is, this is where it's a bummer too because there's that whole like full-time job thing uh, going on during when these <laughs> games are earlier throughout the day. So did I watch? Valid, valid point. Yes. Did I fully pay attention? No. Um, but definitely that last, you know, three, four minutes, um, I was, I was, I was watching, you know, March madness for me is, is a, always a very bittersweet kind. I think a lot of people would think that I'd be so fired up for it. And oh my gosh, this is like Christmas. And yeah, it's a great time, but it also brings back a lot of you know, interesting emotions and feelings. And I tell you what, take his accolades aside, you know, take the fact that he played for Iowa aside, um, any team when I'm watching March Madness, when someone like Luca Garza walks off the court for that last time and you see him put his head into his coach's chest and start crying in that emotion, you know, that's, yes, a sad a sad part of March, March Madness, but it's also kind of one of the beautiful things about March Madness. So to your point, to your question, kind of watched it a little bit. I'm heartbroken for our Hawkeyes. I really thought this was the year that 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 we were going to make it far. Like you said, you had them picked to the final four. Um, <laughs> bummed for them, sad for them. But man, what a run they had. What a great season they had. Some unbelievable performances this season. Well, and to your point with the senior day, and I, I'm like you, like I cry about that. I cry when they play one shining moment. I, I cry at the emotion that goes along with the game because 
like you, I've been there. And all of some of those memories are great and a lot of them aren't. But I have to say, you know, that took me back also last year. No, actually two years or, or yeah, last year on senior day when it was my own child, Riley, at Iowa. And I'll never forget after everybody cleared out after that game and he was he didn't want to leave the floor and he was on he's still in his jersey and he went to the middle of the floor and bent all by himself down like he was going to do a push-up to kiss the tiger hawk in the center of the floor and I thankfully got it on camera but even thinking about that gets me choked up yeah I had I look back to it and I can't remember what it was so I'm in Grand Rapids Michigan born and raised um graduated from Iowa, was in Chicago. I'm now back home. I, I live in the same area that I grew up in. So Michigan State is like 45 minutes away. My senior year, I want to say it was like the fourth to last regular season game before the Big Ten tournament. And obviously I had a bunch of family and friends that were there. So after the game, I was talking to my family and friends. You know exactly where that bench is, you know, opposite the tunnel from where the, the locker room is. And I'll never forget coach Bluter came out to get me to tell me that the bus was leaving. I mean, they're, they're shut. There's nothing but emergency lights on in the Breslin and Bludes and I are walking diagonally to the tunnel. And, and if you, you know, Breslin, it's kind of like that double tier. There's like the concourse in the middle. So there's some doors. And, uh, I remember I got to the corner of the court right before I went through the tunnel again I'm a Michigan girl we would go watch games at the Breslin and I stopped and I turned around and in in the most poetic way I could see the silhouette of my dad completely directly opposite from me standing there in you know the concourse watching me walk away and like Riley's moment I think that was mm -hmm. kind of my moment and I remember thinking in my head, head, like, we did it, dad. And then it was the realization of, oh my gosh, it's almost over. I'm a senior. You know, we, we've only got four more regular season games. Then it's the Big Ten tournament. And then it's NCAA tournament. It goes by fast. It, you know, there's those, those times where you're like, this is never going to end. Oh my gosh, I'm getting my butt kicked. But it goes by fast. And when you have that moment, that moment of realization, it's a, uh, that's a tough pill to swallow for sure. Mm -hmm. You mentioned your dad, Tommy boy, as yeah. we affectionately call, refer to him. And take us back there. Like, how did you get into this game? How did it all start for you? Honestly, it's, it started with me being a little kid and my dad, I don't know if my mom had like Saturdays or whatever it was her shopping day. I, I don't know what it was, but it started that my dad would take us, me and my older brother, Chris, to, to the gym, you know, and he'd work out and we'd play around in, in the gym and on the court and a basketball was put in my hand and I really enjoyed it and it was really fun. And because it was really fun and I really enjoyed it, you couldn't take that basketball out of my hand. I mean, Shelly, I'd get done with, with school. I'd do my homework. I'd be out in the driveway shooting hoops. And then I'd go in and have dinner 
And then I'd go back into the driveway and shoot hoops. And because I loved it so much, I enjoyed it so much, I played it so much, I got good. And then you start getting good. And I'll never forget watching one shining moment with my dad downstairs. And it was this, this thought in my head of, I want to do that. And I, I think at that moment, in that time, when you, you kind of set that goal, you start realizing, okay, like, what do I have to do to do that? Because I got good, because mm-hmm. I loved it, because I, I, I played it all the time. I got hooked up on a good AAU team and we traveled a lot. Um, and because we traveled a lot, we went to these big tournaments. There's obviously college coaches there, but it really just started. You know, my, my, my dad was a basketball player, but he didn't force it on me. I was just a kid that loved, I loved to play basketball and I got good. Mm-hmm. And then I got, and good. you got good. You were really good in high school, obviously, and mm-hmm. you started getting recruited. So kind of summarize that for, for us, like take us through how did, how did a girl from Michigan who lives really close to Michigan state, whose family, dad and brother are Michigan and brothers of Michigan alum. How did you end up at Iowa? Well, I, to be slightly politically correct there, there's actually, there's, there's a very logical process in how I made that decision. Um, you're correct. Okay. I grew up in Michigan and a Michigan fan. Being that I grew up a Michigan fan, there are certain schools in the Big Ten that I don't like. I didn't like, I should say. <laughs> At this point right now today, I, I want to see the Big Ten be successful uh, in general. Uh, but back then, there, there, there were two schools in particular that I just couldn't do that to my family, nor could I ever probably put on their uniform. And when it came down guess. to it, Michigan state and Ohio state. Oh, happiness may or may not be crushed Buckeye nuts. I'm sorry. Said it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ding, ding. Well, yeah. Ding, ding. Um, that wasn't too then there's also, this is kind of a funny thing. You, you know me, I, I love my sneakers. Uh, I am a Nike yeah. person through and through. And, you know, there's some Adidas schools that are in the Big Ten as well. So they were out. And <laughs> when I got to the All point, the again, the important things, right? But when I got to the point where it was like, oh my gosh, this could actually happen. Like, this is really going to happen. I'm going to play in the Big Ten in my dream school. Um, they, they, they just, they weren't performing at a level that, that I, I wanted to be a part of. So I thought to myself, like, okay, I've reached that goal. Like, I'm going to play in the Big Ten. Man, it'd be really cool to win a Big Ten championship. And so starting to kind of assess that at the same time, Iowa came into the mix. My parents actually, credit and kudos to my parents, they're so much smarter than I am, uh, convinced me that I should go to the Iowa elite camp. Now I've never been to Iowa in my entire life. I picture an arena in the middle of a cornfield and let me tell you what, when you are on a plane from Grand Rapids and you fly into Cedar Rapids, 
my vision was coming true as we're landing because there's nothing around that airport but cornfields. So we get to Iowa City. <laughs> we get to camp. I had a great time at camp. Players were incredible. Coaches were awesome. And it just, it fit. And I left that camp. And I said to my dad, I said, I'm going to go to Iowa. And they hadn't offered at that point, but I said, I'm going to go to Iowa. And that happened. It's a family atmosphere. That's, that's really important to me. And I got that feeling. It was really cool. My dad and I, after camp, we were sitting at the Wigan pen, which by the way, I got what I wouldn't do for a flying tomato. For those of you that don't know what the Wigan pen is and what a flying tomato is, is it's one of the best pizzas you'll ever put in your mouth. And this we're sitting true. there and I had like an Iowa women's basketball t-shirt on and these strangers come up to us and they're talking about Iowa women's basketball. And then my dad was like, she's getting recruited by them. And all of a sudden they started recruiting me. And I thought it was so mm -hmm. cool. Here are complete strangers that are invested in a women's basketball program. That's incredible. So as, as much as the coaches and the players did a good job recruiting, I, I don't remember that couple, who they were, but they certainly did a really good job <laughs> in getting me there. Well, as you know now, Hawkeye fans are loyal, and uh, because the state of Iowa doesn't have professional sports, unlike Michigan, this is it. You're either a yep. Hawkeye fan or, uh, you know, the other school a little. The other one. We won't mention it. Won't we won't mention it. It's okay. <laughs> How okay? So you mentioned this in the in the beginning, and I want to get there because you know you, you go to Iowa, you play there for four years, you win. You're on the 2008 Big Ten Tournament Championship. You still have your ring. And I was there. I was the radio analyst at the time. So for those of you that don't know, Lindsay and I were freshmen together. <laughs> so, yeah. Do I? Meaning she was a freshman uh, eligibility-wise, and it was my first year on the radio when, she, when you and the rest of your Fab Five class came to campus. Um, so today we're we're recording this on what is today Tuesday, the twenty third, twenty third March. Yeah, so Iowa women's basketball just got done playing today, and they knocked off the uh, Kentucky Wildcats to make their second. Well, we're not counting twenty twenty obviously because there wasn't a tournament, but another trip to the Sweet Sixteen. They've gone in twenty sixteen. Uh, obviously they went with Megan Gustafson all the way to the elite eight. And then again in 2021. So you mentioned it. Most people would look at you and go, Oh, aren't you so excited and, and so happy to be watching not only the women's basketball tournament, but your alma mater, but that's not exactly the case for you. Tell why is that? One, you know, watching my alma mater is, and I would say this in the last four or five years, and I'll touch back on this, why I feel this way, but I'm always very proud to watch the Hawkeyes. I'm always very proud to watch my, my coaching staff. Um, you know, basketball, 
think what people don't understand when they're watching March Madness, okay, is it, it becomes this big, like, glorified thing. Okay, it's the big stage. It's the big dance. They don't understand is that it's, it's more than four years. Like, a, a kid doesn't just wake up their junior year of high school or even, shoot, I don't know, you correct me if I'm wrong, but even their freshman year of high school and say, oh, mom and dad, I, I'm going to go play major D1 basketball. That, that, that doesn't happen. It, it starts at a very, 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 very young age. And right. in the process of that, I mentioned to you before, like there was that, that moment where I said, I want to do that. And it became a goal. So you kind of change your mindset. You, you change your mentality. You change your entire schedule and your regiment and in turn you kind of become that identity and and part of that is the whole got to be strong and you got to be tough got to be strong and you got to be tough you got to be strong and you got to be tough and you know you're in high school you're a senior and you're playing against your rival and you're the one that's going to play in the big 10 and you're inbounding the ball and the student section behind you is whispering faggot, dyke, faggot, dyke. You can't let them know that that bothers you. You got to be strong and you have to be tough. And you play that in your mind so much, so much, so much that it almost kind of consumes you and you kind of become numb to anything else, any, any other emotions, anything that's negative, anything that would show that you're weak, which could be sadness or any type of struggle so as that goes on for years all of a sudden with 40 seconds left against georgia tech in the ncaa tournament in carver hawkeye arena you look up and you're down by eight and it's over and you take that uniform off for the last time first month it's kind of fun it's kind of liberating it's kind of like you know, I, I, I don't have any rules. I, you know, I don't have to go to practice in the morning. I don't, have to, I don't have to, I don't have to go to, you know, study table. I can do whatever I want, that kind of thing. And then as I look back on it, without knowing it, because I think there is such a stigma on mental health mm-hmm. over the years, I struggled with that identity and losing that identity. It was almost like a grieving process that depression became super high and then anxiety kicked in. And then it gets to a point where the two of them hit that point of no return. And it is just the most vicious, vicious cycle. I wasn't cognizant of it then, but particularly in the last four years, um, I've been able to really peel back those layers and understand it's not necessarily basketball, but it's just the mentality that I allowed myself to adapt. That wasn't who I am as a person at my core. And it brought me to not a good place because of it. So much so that February 9th, is uh, it, it's a day that I always celebrate for myself. And when I say celebrate, I literally look myself in the mirror when I wake up and I give myself a shaka. 
you know, and I smile at myself and I'm proud of myself because four years ago, February 9th is all that depression and all that stuff just started to snowball. And I got to a point where I was just, I was a shell of a person. Uh, there was lights were on, nobody was home. And in that February 9th, in particular, I had no desire or intention of seeing February 10th. I was done. I had nothing more to give. I was exhausted. Mm. And yeah. so now, and that's not, not because of basketball. Again, in the last four years, the things that we've, I've learned really about myself, um, I wish I knew back then because I would have handled things differently and better. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting to see just how much of an impact that that mentality had on me as a person. Granted, amazing things came out of basketball. I don't want that to, to sound like, oh my gosh, basketball is terrible. No, like I would do it again tomorrow in a heartbeat, no questions asked. It was the best experience I'll never have in my life again. But it was tough. It was tough. Because I do remember those moments. I do remember taking off the uniform for the last time. I do remember going 0 for 7 against Iowa State. I do remember my senior year of high school coming down on a three on two and making a great pass, but not knowing my personnel. And maybe that was the right pass to make, but I didn't make it to the right person. And, and, and it went off a foot and we lost the game. I remember those things. I hold on to those things. And I've allowed them, allowed them to impact me. And, you know, first of all, I'm speaking for the rest of the world listening to this, that we are so happy that you saw February 10th, four years ago, and are still here today. And I appreciate your vulnerability and sharing your truth, because I think there's a lot of people that feel and have felt like you, and they don't know what to do with it, or they keep it to themselves, or just like you said, we are all conditioned as athletes mentally to not let that stuff come out to shove it, stuff it, toughen up. Because if you do, you're, the fear is that you're labeled. The fear is that you're considered the weak link. The fear is that, you know, your coach is going to retaliate against you. She may, she or he may not do it, you know, blatantly, but it's real easy to just not put you in a game or it's real easy to just kind of put you down the ladder in terms of uh, where, where you stand position wise. Um, it's real easy to just overlook you because of the things that can be conjured up when someone says, Hey, I'm struggling. Right. And, and, and I think you were still in an era where that's the way it was. Thankfully, I think it's getting better, but for those who, if you could, there's, this is kind of a two-part question. So, so bear with me here. The reason I'm bringing this up now is because we are coming off of one of the most difficult seasons of life period but we're going to talk specifically about the difficulty that this ha has been for college athletes and all of the protocols and all of the isolation and all of the you can only go to practice or you can only be on your computer and take online classes you can't socialize you can't see your family all of it, like all of the fun things about college ha 
aren't aren't there, haven't been there. And so these teams have really sacrificed a lot. And this has taken a mental toll. Again, I know it's taken a mental toll and a physical toll and, and lives. We're not talking about that. We're talking specifically about the toll on college athletes. So knowing what you know and going through what you've gone through and what is it that you wish you could say, if there's a young Lindsay Neinheis out there who's in college right now and she's feeling some of those feelings you maybe had when you were in college and on top of it, dealing with this, you know, a pandemic and seasons ending and, and just the shit show that 2021 has been 2020 to 21 season. What would you say to her? I think, well, so first of all, what I did, you know, after that February 9th situation and after having been in the hospital and everything come to find out an important, and this is an important caveat about me as a person is I come to find out, find out I am off the charts, ADHD. So mm. my college experience, you know, I, when I'm sitting there in practice and I can't focus, it's, it's in me that I want to work hard and I want to play hard, but I, I, I just literally, I couldn't get through like a three hour practice. So that kind of made things worse. Um, the reason so I bring up, I, the I just want to clarify. I just want to clarify. You were undiagnosed ADHD yeah. the entire time you were in school. Okay. My entire life. Yeah. To the point where the doctor said, I mean, looking at my work resume, you know, post-college and having played in college essentially said to me, no wonder you broke down. You're, you're drained. You're drained. Like there's no way that your brain can handle. And he was impressed that I was able to get through it. But again, Shelly, remember, be strong, be tough. So my conscious mind was able to fight it. So I was put my, this, this organ right here was putting in three times the amount of effort and going through three times the amount of gas of any muscle or any other organ in my body in those four years, hundred percent. So, and, and the reason why I bring up the ADHD thing is to your point about these, these athletes that are now even in the NCAA tournament in a bubble, right? This whole work from home situation, this whole covid thing this whole lockdown thing it's not good for me like it's not good for me so i relate to these kids and i feel sorry for them because college is a fun time and they're not getting to experience it to its fullest if i would say anything to the girls it would or you know the, the athletes in general men's or women's what's been the shining like the, the silver lining for me is it's also been a time this COVID situation to to realize who your people are and to keep them close and and to lean on your you know my team who's my team it's, right. it's my family it's my friends and I keep them very close I keep them very tight that's the one thing I think I'm most proud of myself for are, is the circle of people that I've been able to keep in my life. So I think I would say to athletes is this is the time to really understand the value. And this is an intangible quality that will carry you through the rest of your life. The importance 
of leaning on your teammates and what it is to be a teammate and what it is to be vulnerable with a teammate and to not judge your teammates. Even the strongest is strongest. Caitlin Clark, she has bad days. You know, allowing someone like that to say, hey, I, 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 my, my body, yeah, physically I'm tired, but I'm just, whew, I'm out of it. I'm tired. I'm mad. I'm sad. I'm pissed at myself and giving your teammates kind of that space and that opportunity to be open and safe and let them feel safe. I think that's most important. Right. hundred percent. I, when I do coaching and, and training and speaking, I talk about that. It's referred, it's called a, creating a psychologically safe environment. So you can do just what you said. So you don't have to feel like you're the odd person out or you're going to get made fun out of or they're going to talk behind your back or you're going to get retaliated against. And that's why people stuff stuff down and then eventually they can't take it anymore. The bucket yeah. overflows with toxicity and negative thoughts. And, and um, you know, I think that's why athletes do take on so much and they can probably take on more than the average person because we've been pushed so far in a good way, right? In a good way. But yeah. when you're not dealing with the stuff that's coming in, the bad stuff, uh, eventually even the toughest athletes break and the break can look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. What, what would you what's say? What's interesting though, Shelly, and not to interrupt, but you, you just said the word tough, you know, what does tough look like? Tough and strong. These are what we're conditioned to be, right? There's such, I hate, I hate the phrase metal terms. Hate it. I hate it. I hate it. What, what does it mean? Be strong, be tough. Right. Be, okay. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Nobody really has an answer. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm subjective. I'm, I'm trying to, a one woman show here, trying to change the narrative or this, the, the vernacular from mental toughness to mental fitness. Because to me, you know, physical fitness is required to be a high level athlete, right? You have to be in the tip top shape compared to the rest of the general public. You got to be right. a top one to two percenter. So it's no different with mental fitness. You know, yeah. it, the more you take on, the higher the, the prize, the more the reward, you have to be able to match the stress level that comes along with that. And just everybody has different levels of that, just like they have different levels of physical fitness. So it, because when you say someone's either mentally tough or they're not, it's either right. you're mentally tough or you're weak. Right. And that's the stigma that we as athletes internalize. Yeah. And then it, it just snowballs into this, I'm never good enough kind of feeling. Yeah. And the other thing that you hit on when you were talking about this, and I want to make sure to, to touch on it, um, as you mentioned, the how being an athlete was your identity. And there are so many athletes because, because you start, it's the very first thing you fall in love with when yeah. you play at this level. And, mm -hmm. and so it's like you've been dating for 18 to 20 years and then all of a sudden you break up and it's over. Yeah. So 
And that's that. I mean, there is a thing called high athletic identity. That's a real thing. And it is one of the things that leads to postgraduate. I call it post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic sports distress. Okay. I'm making up all these things, but post-traumatic. Hey, you should get a patent on it. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's a new kind of PTSD. Not new. It's just, <laughs> but it's a thing. It's real yeah. because the more you identify with your sport, the higher the, the potential trauma is when it all ends. Right. Right. So again, you know, we don't go through things. We don't experience pain without putting it to a purpose. And I know that you are working on doing that. You are coaching young women right now. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess what I would ask you then is learning, knowing what you know now, if you look back on that Lindsay in high school, as she's getting ready to live out her dream as a, at a big 10 school, what do you wish you would have known or done differently going into that? I think, I think I, I wouldn't have been afraid to vocalize like, Hey, it'd be really fun to be in the musical or I have other interests. There's other things that I like and I'm actually kind of good at. Because that's been the positive about all of this, right? Is yeah. kind of, you finally get to a, a place where you can kind of do those other things that you've had an interest in or you've wanted to try. And I think I would encourage any player, you know, have hobbies, have hobbies outside of your sport, have hobbies. And this extends beyond sports. Even if you're a, you know, whatever it is, I mean, you know, you got to stick in your lane, right. And you got to give that a lot of time and effort, but it's okay to venture off and kind of experiment with other things. And, and for me, I'm a very creative person. Um, so anything with creativity, I've always loved, but I never did anything with it, you know, because I'm a basketball player. That's what I do. And that's what I have to do. And that's what the expectation is. And I have to live up to those expectations and I don't want to hurt anybody. So I, this, I have to stick in this lane. And that was on me. That was my fault, but I'm a young kid. Like, right. I didn't want to disappoint so that, anybody. That begs the question though, then to that point, you know, you're a young kid, you don't know any better. And most young kids are just like, this is all I ever know, knew or wanted to do. So that's where the, the team part comes in, right? As mm -hmm. a young kid and part for, for a lot of, for most of us, that team is parents. And so yeah. what, and you're working again with high school, high school athletes. And so for the parents that are listening to this just across the country who might have little kids that are eight, 10 years old. And, you know, they might be the next division one basketball player. They might be the next Luca Garza, the next Lindsay Nineheis, whomever. What would you, what advice could you, from your perspective, going through what you went through, learning what you've learned, what would you, what tell, would you parents tell parents that they could do to help? I'm only saying this, I'm saying this, what I'm about to say is based on my perspective of what I'm seeing coaching, mm -hmm. because my, 
my parents never forced me. They never like push made me do it, but I'm seeing that now. And it's kind of sad. And they're putting so much pressure on their kids. I think if you're a parent watching this, is it your dream or is it your kid's dream? And if it's your kid's dream, I'm not a parent. That that's my dream job is to be a mom. Someday I will be, but so I can't give parenting advice. But if it's your kid's dream as a parent, it's your job to support them, build them up, don't enable them. Okay, because we see that a lot now. Gino touched on that a couple of years ago in a press conference that was like genius. Hold them accountable, but you don't have to be so hard on them that these kids are afraid to go home after a game because what is mom or dad going to say? That's not healthy. Right. That's not okay. Push your kids, communicate with your coaches. Okay. And when I say communicate with your coaches, I'm not saying my daughter's not playing. Okay. Because your daughter might not be playing because you're not there at practice and you don't see that your daughter doesn't work hard or you're clearly not looking at the stat line. I'm saying, communicate with coaches in in regards to, all right, what does she have to get better at? This is what she wants to do. Can we work together as a team to get her there? But at the heart and the core of all that has to be encouragement and empowerment. Mm -hmm. Don't be too hard on your kids. I see it too much and it's sad. Well, you mentioned that you have a creative outlet. I have had the joy of watching and seeing you explore that in very various different ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, it does truly light you up. So what is, what's ahead? What's, what's going on in the world of Lindsay nine or nine heist now that you've hung up the basketball shoes other than buying them all the time, the Jordans and, and that, that whole habit. But what are you doing these days to kind of scratch that creative itch? Well, I, uh, two years ago, I bought a foreclosure as a logical investment. And when I stood on that front or that back deck, I looked at my property and said, that's where I'm going to put my dream garden. It's what I've always wanted. I've always wanted a garden. My grandma, um, (laughs) God love her. She's my angel. She and I used to garden when I was a kid. And just recently, I actually, um, had my car stolen and uh, the rental car that they gave me was an F-150, which I was like, I got a truck now, so I can throw things in my truck. Went to Lowe's, got some four by four by six posts and 10 bags of concrete, watched some YouTube tutorials. I put all the posts down. I have an 18 foot by 27 foot garden and I cannot wait to garden. Um, I love to cook. That's my favorite thing is to cook for friends. I think a home cooked meal takes away it. It, it, in, it invokes more conversation than going out to a restaurant. People put their phones down. So what with this garden because it's so big, and I really don't know how to plant that many plants. I'm gonna have a table and a grill and a prep station so I can do farm to table dinners with all my friends, and that's making me really happy right now. <laughs> that is awesome. I love it. All right. Before we wrap this up, I ask everybody that comes on here because it's called too much grit to quit. I have my own 
grit to me is actually an acronym and you hit on the T, which is team. But when you hear the word grit, and it's used all the time in sports, but when you hear it, what does it mean to you? And the second part of that question is, who do you think of when you think of that word? Holy smoke, Shelly Till, put me on the spot, grit. What do I think of when I hear grit? Have you not listened to my podcast? I have, <laughs> but I think you were gonna ask me. I think for, for me, for me, grit is being self-aware. Being self-aware. I like that. And confident enough to, whether it's my boss, which I've had to do, which is hard. Um, whether it's my family, self-aware and confident enough in myself to say, I need a timeout. Like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta calm down here for a second. Uh, that, mm -hmm. that, that's my grit. That's my grit. What was the second question? I love that. I said, who, who do you think of when you think of the word grit? Besides yourself, of course. My mom. Mommy. My, uh, yeah, Moni. I think of my mom. She, uh, everybody asks like, what did your mom do for work? And I always say she was an angel. She was a special ed teacher. And, you know, my dad, my dad traveled a lot. Of course, he never missed a basketball game, even if he's traveling in Europe. Like that guy was incredible in how he was able to make his schedule. But, you know, for a lot of time, it was, you know, my mom taking care of me and my brother, making sure that we always had a home cooked meal at the dinner table always got us to practices wherever the heck we had to be and uh, never complained. I think that took time for me to, Ooh, you're a little choked up. Uh, I hate that it took me that long to realize that and understand that, but uh, yeah, my mom, that took a lot. That took a lot of work and she always put everybody's needs before her own. So, my mom. Well, you know what? It's better late than never. And as a parent, uh, you know, I, I'm sure when she hears this, she's going to start crying because those are the sweetest words you could hear from your from your children. So, good job, Tom and Monty. <laughs> They're the best. Right, Niner, you and I could talk. You, is there anything else before I let you go? Anything else? Any other message you want to send? Go Hawkeyes. Be kind to each other. Be nice. Don't be jerks. Don't be judgmental and try and find the good in all the bad situations. I believe in you. That's it. That's all I got. That's a wrap for this edition of Too Much Grit to Quit on Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Shelly Till. Please join me again the next time and make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.